Well, hello, friends. You are back for another Brew Theology podcast. This is Ryan, and on this episode, you're listening to part two of Mental Health, The Elephant in Every Room with my good friends Shane, Janelle, Baird, Jeff, and Christina as they tackle this uh, amazingly relevant and important topic that we have had in our pub community here in Denver the past two weeks. So this is a microcosm of what we've been doing here in Denver. We have other communities across the nation that are popping up as far as uh, Brew Theology goes we've got we're all the way we're the we're on the east coast it's amazing we've got the northeast jersey boys rocking it over there also canton ohio is starting soon as well as Greeley, and we have one in the northwest metro area of Denver. we're in conversation with a bunch of people who i know right now are sitting there and they're listening to this episode thinking I think Ryan's talking to me. I think he's talking about me because we've had conversations before. I met a lot of you at the Wild Goose Festival. I met some of you at Theology Beer Camp. And you're thinking to yourself, this would be great to start a pub community in my town, in my suburb, in my city, wherever it is that you are. We do believe that brewing theology across the open and interfaith uh, spectrum in around these tables is very important. It's important on so many levels because we live in a world that is polarized and people don't know how to talk anymore and we talk over each other and uh, we talk through each other in really dangerous ways. And this is a way in which we are open to the other in a pluralistic way. So if you want to do this, if you want to start a group, if you want some curriculum, if you want the logo, if you want some good online love, this partnership, it starts uh, as... I mean, as low as $5 a month on the lowest end, that's easy. It means that's a Pilsner level right there because you get a Pilsner for five bucks. So, and also on the high end, it's only 25 bucks. So if you want to support us five bucks a month or 25 bucks a month, and then get to be a part of this partnership, we would love to have you. If you just want to support us, then we would take that too. We have a Patreon page. You can go to brewtheology.org, click on that donate button, and there's a Patreon page where you can donate there. Again, uh, this just helps us start new groups uh, with the website. We've got the podcast, cranking out curriculum, providing training, supporting local businesses, doing events that we've been doing. It's been a really busy summer. And uh, we recognize that there are so many things out there uh, to give and to give your time to. Uh, This is something that Janelle and I have been giving our time to over the past uh, year. Brew Theology, we didn't start the website until last December, so... We started the podcast not even a year ago, and this is based out of a Denver Brew Theology community uh, that I inherited two and a half years ago. So it's an honor to do this. It's a partnership. It's a team effort, and I want to just help you out there, if you're listening, uh, to start these uh, these communities in your areas. So this is more than a hobby. This truly has become a family. So thank you so much for listening and for your support. Uh, We will see you on the other side of this episode, and yeah, talk to you soon, guys. Peace. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Brew Theology, and we're still talking about mental health. Uh, If you haven't listened to the first part of this episode, please go back and do that. And for this uh, second half, we're going to talk about some of our own stories and interactions with mental health, and we're going to talk about the church and faith and mental health, and then how to break down and change uh, the way that our society deals with mental health issues. So we're going to start off in the curriculum on what is the second half of question one. What are some of the most significant factors that impact your mental health? So I'll start. Um, So basically what happened um, to me is I had an ex who suffered for basically his adult life with obsessive compulsive disorder 
which turned into anxiety and panic attacks, which then turned to an, probably an undiagnosed depression. As, and then I would consider it a mental breakdown. So for me, having to care for an individual to make sure that their mental health was good affected my mental health as well because I'm basically caring for two people. And that puts a strain and that strained me very well because there is sometimes, you know, I, I couldn't talk to people because I just didn't understand what I was going through. Um, I, I only had like one or two people who, who, who knew about mental health, but not the exact issues that I was helping my significant other to go through at the time. Um, so that creates a big um, issue because a lot of times you're, we're finding the help for the actual individual, but their support system doesn't get help. So that's what I'm finding uh, very hard was that exact issue. And let's give a shout out. If you are a caregiver out there, if you're living with someone who's struggling through mental health, there, there are ways to get help and support. One is yourself going to counseling just to make sure that you're holding on okay. There are lots of Facebook groups. Um, and even I'm, I'm sure if we looked that we, we would find some meetup groups out there. So if you are struggling through giving care to someone with mental illness, um, don't forget about yourself. It's okay to take time off to make space in your life for you to take care of you. And that helps you help them better. And you are not alone. Right. Because as many people who suffer from mental illness, there's probably double that of people who are supporting that person right. go through mental illness. So you are not alone. Right. Along those same lines, um, I don't know if it's directly in this definition of mental illness, but we have uh, a large portion of the of the population now that is taking care of aging parents, and with that comes along uh, many people have to deal with Alzheimer's, uh, other forms of dementia. Um, actually a very common uh, phenomenon in the elderly is depression. And even if you're not exactly aware that that's what you're dealing with because of the ways we don't talk about it, um, but when people lose interest in living life, when people just retreat in front of a television or stop doing the things they want to do... Um, Sometimes we don't recognize that for what it is, and we don't want to admit that that might be what's going on, but it's an important part of providing care for those people um, and realizing that things like hearing loss, which is also common in elderly people, leads to depression because you're isolated and, and separated from the people around you and how all of these different factors end up influencing um and then that takes that takes a toll on the mental health of the people who are caring for them so yeah I, regardless of the situation um it's hard to be a caregiver find support 
Well, let's let's add one more in there uh, since we're going down this road of chronic illness. If you or someone you're living with has a chronic illness, um, many of these same things apply. Chronic illness also often comes with chronic pain or frustration about the inability to do what I used to do, and that can lead to depression and anxiety. And then also that stresses the family that's taking care of them or the friends because now you're taking on extra responsibilities. You may be taking care of the home. You may be having to pick up pieces when they're not able to do everything. So, you know, if you're dealing with any situation out there where you're providing primary support for someone that is either elderly or chronically ill or dealing with mental health issues, or if you fall in any of those categories, guess what? Mental health is part of that equation. And so it is okay to admit that. It's okay to seek treatment for that. And it's okay to be honest about that. And if you don't have anyone else to talk to about that, reach out to Ryan or I, and we'll see if we can get you connected to someone in the town where you live that can help you with that. I'll vouch for that. They are excellent listeners and connectors for sure. Definitely. And to answer the question, um, my, my kind of journey with mental health and faith, it's really mental health that brought me to faith. Um, and kind of going a little further back in that. So growing up, Grew up in Kansas, not much of a conversation. However, my parents always had this desire and really most of what their entire lives were about was making sure that their children were better off in the world than they were, which is beautiful and comes with a lot of pressure, um, which I still still wrestle with today being a mental health professional and a nonprofit. Am I fulfilling that? <laughs> financially specifically, um, in a lot of other ways. And so I grew up with a lot of expectation, um, whether, whether it was real or if it was felt, I don't really know, but it was there and it kind of led me into a lot of, um, performance based ideas and perfectionism where I tried my best to do, to be the best at everything. And I largely in a small community was, um, I succeeded in school pretty easily without much effort. I was, involved with and led a lot of organizations. And uh, even in college, it's kind of the same story. Um, but there was always this, this underlying desire, I got to do better. I got to, I got to be more, I got to achieve more, um, which came with like a lot of low self-worth. I was so dissatisfied with who I am because I always wanted to be the next thing. I always wanted to achieve the next task in front. Um, and yeah, a lot of a lot of just like felt, felt issues there. And I, I wouldn't say it would go uh, extreme enough to be like diagnosed as a mental health condition, but again, like it's a spectrum and that was my fitness level at that point. And in college, that's kind of what led me to faith is like that, that worry and that uncertainty about when I die, the next life, this life, like what, what that meant, what that looked like. Um, and it was really that, that fear that, that brought me into like wanting to know more about um, Christianity uh, specifically and what that looked like. And I think through that, it was a very, it was very rocky road um, as I, as I grew as an, into an adulthood and was still dabbling in conservative Christianity, like figuring out, okay, like this actually, I do have worth. I do have a lot of 
skills, a lot of abilities that, or even just like me being me, me existing is enough that I have value in that. And that's not the message I was receiving from my faith group at that point that I always, always was doing something wrong or needed to be doing more or the statistics didn't add up and you need to be achieving more. And I kind of eventually said, fuck it. I don't care about that. Like, I just want to rest well in who I am. And unfortunately it didn't line up with that group. And I spent a long time until I came to Denver trying to find that, trying to figure out like what, what group I could be part of that would be okay with just me being me, which that's still, still a journey. Like me figuring out who I am, um, and enter into like my coming out story and me developing more professionally and figuring out where I want to go with that. And, and all of these things that kind of added into that, that, mental health issue that I had of just, and still have of low self-worth and figuring out that confidence. Um, even I'll be, I'll be real blatant with you. just like this last week, like, um, was going on a few dates with a guy and it was going well. And then he stopped talking to me and eventually we like, we kind of talked a little bit more. And the reason he broke up with me because it was my weight. Like I wasn't fit enough and that's a huge blow. And you know what? Like, I feel like that sucks and I want to do something about it. And I've wanted to do something about my weight for a long time and I've tried and I failed and I've whatever, right? Long story. But I feel comfortable sharing that even like I, I, I'm pretty comfortable with who I am and yes, there's things I'd like to change, but in this moment, life is beautiful. And I want to share that with people. Like I, this, it's not just the rain in Denver. That's like upset me. It's, it's this too, right? Like I'm, I'm pretty down with that. And that, that's, that's hard. And you know what? Like, I know I can share it with people I love and that love me and that it's safe. Thanks for sharing that. No, oh, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. And you're not that fat. No, he's very good looking. So anyone out there, if you're looking, you know, let us know. <laughs> we'll connect you. <laughs> no, the, 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 the funnier part is he does more climbing and outdoor yes. activities than, yeah, a lot of people I know. So anyway, moving on. Jeff, did you want to share on this? Sure. I um, Well, my own kind of uh, experience with mental health started when I was pretty young. Um, when I was 10, uh, I had a traumatic experience um, with something that... Um, the details are a little bit odd because as I, when I think about the, the details of this, um, they don't typically, um, seem traumatic. Um, briefly the details are that I was on a camping trip with, uh, my family and a group of people and sort of got lost in the woods, um, and taunted by some older boys at the time. Um, and that produced a um, a pretty traumatic experience um, in my uh, in my life. Um, in that uh, I had um, you know night terrors. Um, growing up all the way to college, I would have um, uh, anxiety and panic attacks, um, and um, and it's still it's still something that um that i wrestle with every now and then um with anxiety around um losing touch with people that i'm close to i'd i'd almost say though to the to the stigmas 
it it was something that was impactful to you. My assessment as an outsider of whether or not that should have been doesn't really matter. It impacted you. These are the consequences of how it impacted you. And that is valid in your life because that is your experience of it. Yeah, and that's kind of the my, my point in sort of telling that story is that um, is that it doesn't always have to look like something that society defines as traumatic to have a traumatic impact. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's how it how the, what the response was. Whatever we're learning, we're learning a lot um, in this age of of PTSD that it is it is much wider spread than we thought it was. Um, they're starting to see that there are grade school and high school students that are suffering the impacts of PTSD from things that they've gone through in their lives. And it can be a single traumatic incident. It can be a series of traumatic incidents. Um, But we find that the impacts of this can be, um, you know, anything from behavioral issues to attachment disorders to whatever else. And it's real and the good news is that we're finding that there are treatments for it and there are ways to take those experiences and, and remove some of their power over us. Um, but those experiences are, they are profoundly acute and profoundly real to the people that are experiencing them. And, I mean... Uh, in, in the same vein, I had some things that happened to me in high school. And, you know, one of the ways that you know something's wrong, um, I switched schools because of what had been going on. And it turned out that both schools used the same retreat center. And we went for our annual class trip out there. And um, I, it's kind of stuck in my head the, the moment that one of the, one of the teachers came up to me and looked at me and goes, so what's wrong? Um, because I was standing at a certain point staring off into space, and what that teacher didn't know is I was re-experiencing something that had happened to me a couple of years earlier at that same spot. And, you know, did that... I just just having had that experience, that moment of being in a place and realizing that I'm I'm in that place twice in very different contexts, but having the having the emotional content of what had happened the first time still present there, it's it's a disturbing it's just a disturbing realization. Um, well, my experience was similar to that in that um from 10 all the way until 18 or 20 i could not even retell or recount the experience that i had while camping without having physical signs of anxiety around uh, around recounting that um and i also dealt with um like shane had um with that impacted my self-esteem and my and my self-worth 
um, in just that I didn't feel like I fit in with any of the people who were my age because I there was this kind of cognizant thing that there is something wrong with me, you know. Most pe- most kids don't have this kind of anxiety mm-hmm. around, you know, whatever small things. You yeah. know, when you're a junior in high school, you don't, you know, freak out about, uh, you know, your parents being gone when you get home from school or, or whatever. Um, and, um, and so, so not only was was I dealing with that anxiety, but that the self-worth and self-esteem of not, of being cognizant that I wasn't fitting in with my peers. Mm -hmm. And this is a great segue into the next part of our conversation about faith and mental health. And I say that because um, one of the subjects that's becoming more talked about right now is trauma from the church and trauma from faith traditions and uh, so for me, where that kind of intersects mental health is also kind of self-image, self-worth type things of uh, being an, an overachiever my whole life and struggling to fit in because of that. And then being part of a choir that was, you know, had very high standards and performed very well around the country and internationally and then being part of a religious tradition that said that God's best plan for you is that you should be perfect. Now, we could get into whether or not that theology was taught to me the way it should have been. It probably wasn't. And whether or not that's what they intended. But the way that my personhood and my personality took that was that I have to strive to be the best that I can be in every moment, in everything I do. And... And for many years, I did the best I could at that. But the problem is, is that we grow up and we realize that the world does not work that way, that it doesn't make sense that way, um, and that then things don't fit into those little boxes that we were given to put them in. Um, one of the places where I saw this early on in my, tr- in my life was my father was on the school board and uh, he, was, he did that my whole growing up and was helping to bring in a program on self-esteem to the school district and the people that objected to it and made his life miserable and tortured my family um, were the conservative evangelical Christians because they were afraid that if you taught a kid that they had any worth outside of Jesus, that they would never be recoverable and that they would never find the grace of God to be loved. And that is just BS. Uh, We have value because we are created in the image of God. Amen. Male and female, he created them. And we are his image bearers, every single one of us. And that does not depend on saying a prayer. That does not depend on anything that we do. That is the grace that has been given us by the creator and the church has done a crappy job of communicating that. And um, so when it comes to mental health and faith, let's say it one more time that mental health issues are not sin. Mental health issues are things in your body that need to be treated 
and talked about and maybe medicated so that you can be whole the way that God intended you to be. So uh, there or, are... Or more broadly work through or with work people through. that, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, et cetera, where you can work through and deal with these things. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about... Uh, Shane in question three says the research remains conflicted when discussing the role of faith and religious institutions in mental health. Do faith and or faith groups help or hinder mental health resiliency? What have you observed as the message coming from faith groups during times of trauma, depression, suicidal ideation, or other mental health issues? Growing up a good pastor's grandkid, in the Baptist church, you know, you're just taught to pray for everything. So when my ex was going through this mental stuff, I go back to my faith. I pray to God, you know, I I pray everything as to, you know, take this from him, put it on me. You know, I, I claim the faith of Jesus that you will heal his mental health. You know, I pray against Satan, you know, everything that you were taught and I was taught in church to pray against it go it went even worse because at the time um towards the end of the relationship we were attending a charismatic church so when you see people being healed of you know sickness and all everything else left and right my ex and i look at each other and like why isn't he taking my afflictions away and, and that causes very big mental health trap in our, in our relationship because, you know, here we are, you know, we're good Christians. We read our Bible, we pray, we go to church, we've, you know, did the sinner's prayer and we've asked Jesus into our heart, but yet God doesn't heal. And that was a big blow to our faith, you know, over time and, other things, you know, I've gotten past that. I don't know if he has, but it's 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 very hard. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a theological discussion there probably for a different day, but I, a lot of people look at the passages on prayer and it isn't it isn't saying what a lot of people say it is, that it's your lack of faith as the person praying. So, I mean, we just, we do a wonderful job of compounding these things. Yep. And so I wish that the research wasn't so conflicted because I have personal baggage and weight to some of that. Mm-hmm. And some of it is not conflicted with there are, it's much more likely that members of the LGBTQ community in a faith group are more likely to commit suicide right. because of that. Yeah. Those facts are there. I want to take a moment and just kind of talk about some of the positives that come with that and why it is conflicted. And um, I would point maybe back to our podcast, um, about faith shift and talk about some of those like senses, sense of belonging and like, and that, right. that, that melding that comes with that. Right. Like that's for some people that is very important in life for, for most people, like everybody needs to be connected with a group. Mm-hmm. Um, what group can be very dangerous. I mean, that's can tangent off into like gangs and like why gangs form. And that's, and that's part of it, right? Like there's that sense of belonging and that can also happen in faith groups. Right. Um, and some faith groups are very positive and very affirming and 
all aspects of a person's being um, and what that looks like and how that's shaped and, and fostering some of that excellent mental health. Um, so I just want to like kind of balance some of that discussion with the, there, there's some positives and that's why it's conflicted because I think most of what people are feeling are the negatives because they're so huge. Yeah. And I think a key to that, that I've experienced and talked with others is, is your faith community authentic? Not, and I'm not using that as a buzzword or a church plant word. What I mean is, are you having real conversations about real life in trust, in confidence with the people that are in your community? And often that happens in a small group setting, but not always. But when you can find a community where you're connected to each other in real ways, you can sit down and have a beer together if that's your thing. You play together. You're able to play games or go outside and play Frisbee or whatever and, and just enjoy each other's company. Uh, believe it or not, when you can dance together mm-hmm. seems to be hmm. one of those indicators I've seen. But when we can be ourselves in front of each other in a faith community, then that's a place that I would definitely look into. Um, I think a great prevalent example that I've seen um, or that I've come to know about, I haven't seen it firsthand, but as um, 12-step groups, I certainly consider them mm-hmm. a faith community because um, I, I believe, I may be wrong, um, the third step is um, is trusting in God as as in whatever way um, that person understands him. And um, there's a lot of um, empowerment. Uh, certainly, I, I think there's an argument to be made about, um, about uh, addiction issues being um, a mental health issue yeah. um, and how much support people um, get in that faith community because like you said Janelle it's a it's an authentic community i wonder if it depends on which mental health concerns it is um and how it's treated i think i think the church has has some areas where we do very poorly um i have i in my church experience and the and the few times it's come up i have not seen schizophrenia dealt with well. I have not seen uh, bipolar dealt with well. Um, Depression, there tend to be people that know it, and so you see it get dealt with about 50-50. I think, yes, we do a little bit better with addiction because we have programs and we, we ostracize those people on the one hand, but on the other hand, we see it as something that is in the church's realm. I think the other thing the church tends to do really well, at least in the communities I've been part of, is support the caregivers. Uh, that's something the church can rally around. And so it. I think it's a mixed bag. I, I definitely think we could do better. Um. I, the, the stats around LGBTQ um, are just fundamentally depressing. Um, and it's, yeah, I don't know. I, 
that topic in particular, um, just the emotional cost of families uh, refusing to acknowledge children, refusing to understand or accept what's going on or offer, um, well, just to withhold their love and, and refuse to recognize the new identity, etc., and the cost that that has is, I, I believe firmly that the parents that do that believe that they're trying to do the right thing and do something good because it's what they've been taught. But the cost is is a suicide rate that's just, I, I, I heard the stats a couple of weeks ago, I've forgotten them, but the numbers are just horridly depressing. And And let's just, we'll give this out again. If you or someone you love is dealing with this issue or any other issue where they feel suicidal, the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. It is, uh, you, takes just a moment to dial your phone and get help. And so if, if you know someone that needs that, please give that to them. And please um, be there for them the best you can. Because you're not alone. Here's nope. the thing, like I, I, I have been, I have been brought to places before where I, I question, like, what's easier, like, what, what will alleviate this pain, um, especially like kind of bringing in like that, that faith piece. The organization I was with when I came out of college and I was in West Africa shook me up drastically. I, I went through my entire college career planning to be in international missions with this organization specifically. And in the matter of two weeks that was thrown into question in the matter of eight hours that was thrown out the window. And that entire, like, I mean, I've already talked about like, my, my self value and self criticism and all of that. And that self worth, <laughs> it was a huge blow. I was, I was on the next plane out of the country threatened to be arrested if I didn't. And, I had no, no future plans. That's hopelessness. Like I had, I have, mm-hmm. I have nothing there. Right. Like, um, and I love the image of the semicolon. It gets better. There's, there's more to the story. There's something else after it. I had no clue what that looked like. And in that I found beauty because I could create whatever the heck I wanted to. Like it didn't, I wasn't bound by these expectations about these rules. And, and I understand like some of the, some of the stories aren't, and you know, like in the moment, actually, like I'll bring this real person, like in the moment, like they didn't feel like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's taken me what, four years distance from it, maybe like to even see a bright side. Fuck it. And like in the moment it is not bright. It is dreary. It is shitty. Yeah. It is bad. And there is more. Right. And let's, um, I don't well, want to. Bef- before you say that, and I'm glad that you made that decision and, and are yes. here with us. And it, 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 takes, it takes strength and, and it takes support and reach out and get that support if you need it. Um, but everyone matters. Everyone matters to the people around them. Everyone matters uh, in relationships that you haven't yet had. And find help before you do something that will that will take 
the value that you bring to the world out from everyone else. And, and if you don't believe that, go talk to someone because you're not seeing the world clearly. Everyone brings value. Everyone. You may not see it, but others see it. Yep. So please speak to someone, call the suicide hotline. Even if you're not suicidal, I'm sure someone will be more than happy just to talk to you, just to get you resources, to see what's available in your area, because that's the biggest thing is we just need to talk. So um, I don't want to derail us, but I think also... Uh, branching off from this we need to talk about abuse for a minute um especially because uh when we talk about religious and faith groups um there are a lot of churches out there that say that if you're being abused inside especially a marriage that you should stay there and that's not true and um if you are being abused as part of your faith community whether that is uh, you can be physically abused which is any sort of assault or beating or hitting. You can be mentally abused where you feel like there's nowhere out, no way out, where they have put up uh, walls and boundaries and rules that make you feel like you cannot breathe, you cannot move forward, you cannot speak on your own, that you have no value. That's emotional abuse, mental and emotional abuse. If you um, are being sexually abused, you need to ask for help. Um, but that unfortunately is one of the side effects of some very strict traditions is that as your self-esteem is taken away and you're forced to stay in situations that are harmful to you, it can be really easy to feel like I don't matter or that I don't have the right to get help. And that's baloney. And I just want to say like, that's, that's spiritual abuse there too, right? Mm -hmm. like that's like, and you can categorize that all together and lump it in. And I'm just going to say like, that's like, that's mentality of a cult. Like yep. that's, that's exactly what it is. And that's not, not in your best interest. And a cult does not mean that you all wear the same clothes. Um, when we are looking at the statistics, we're looking at um, the, the realities of uh, what some of these groups are doing to people in terms of rules, in terms of, you know, being faithful, being bound to this group, giving up your family, giving up your connections. Anytime someone's trying to isolate you from the people that you love and care about, that's a problem. And so get out. And it is okay for you to do that. And I understand that probably there may not be many listeners that need to hear this, but if you do, get out, go get help, go call a number, find a Facebook group, go to a different church, go find a counselor, but ask for help because you have value. And if you feel like you can't be who you're supposed to be, if you feel like you're living in fear all the time, if you feel like you're feeling oppressed and suffocated all the time, get out. Because you are worth it. And you're you worth, worth it to us. It. Let us know. If like you have no one yep. else, like we're here for you. Yep. Absolutely. And I, th I think, I think to reiterate another piece of that, often you feel well within your community, but if you realize that you can't have connections outside your community, if you are being given directions that generally impact members of your community's ability to have jobs or function normally in society, um, if you 
if you have teaching that everyone else that you know that's in Christian circles says isn't right, um, those are things to look into. Um, if you're being told that you can't question your faith. Yes. Um, question I, it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I mean, all of these are, are generalizations. Um, I, there, there is wisdom in the Catholic churches. Uh, leave the interpretation of Scripture to people that have actually studied it. Um, I, I wouldn't have said that some years back, but I, I would now. Um, that said, blind, unthinking, follow only this one leader who is at high, really high tension with everything around it, that, that's, it's, uh, that's really questionable. It's hard, but um, we're thinking people, we were, we were created to have minds and to use them. And um, it, yeah. So we just want to encourage you to get the help that you need. Um, so we just have a few minutes left. Um, so let's talk about for just a minute, how do we create good spaces to talk about mental health and how do we live that out in our day-to-day lives and or do you know of organizations that you recommend that are good at helping with mental health? So I'm lucky. I uh, work for a company that has has taken the initiative to try to set this up, and we have a, a program internally uh, where there are people uh, that are identified as people you can talk to, and um, they've gone to that trouble. Um, we mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, mental health first aid. Uh, mentalhealthfirstaid.org, uh, which is an organization that provides training. Uh, some places have given that out, and that's an amazingly useful tool. Um, it, so there are ways that we can be intentional about it, that, that organizations can be intentional about it. And... It, I, I would just recommend having seen this if you are in a place of leadership in a company. Um, it's worth it to set it up. Uh, if, if you are able to address the concerns that people have, um, it, it, we've seen through this program that people are often coming to work and hiding the thing they saw in the news that profoundly agitated them, and they're not actually going to get any work done that day if they don't talk to someone. Or um, just need the ability to talk to people. And if you don't have that, uh, it, it's a huge negative impact. If you're in a place to set it up, you're a place to run that experiment, try it. Um, I'll also say that as, as someone that's in that program, um, so far no one's come and talked to me, at least in an official capacity in that program. And it's not necessarily a huge burden, but it's a relief to people to even know that it's available. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're part of a faith community, if you're on staff somewhere, um, making mental health resources available, quality mental health resources available, um, could have unbelievable impacts on the lives of your people. You just have no idea what's going on behind people's faces unless they're willing to tell you. And so making spaces to do that is an, is one part of that. Yeah, and that's laying down a foundation of just that safety and security. Yeah. Um, I think of Brene Brown, right? Like a being, a being vulnerable. 
of taking that step to like attract people with vulnerability as well. Like that, I, I, I love, I love this group that we have here. I feel like I can say just about anything and I might get weird looks, but that's okay. I know like I'm loved and I'm valued and we might drastically disagree, which we often do. And that's beautiful. And so like fostering that, that place where you've laid a foundation of relationship where you've, you know, each other, you know, each other well, um, and you trust each other. And that, I mean, that becomes like, I mean, okay, you gotta be a trustworthy person. Like no basic rule. Don't be a jerk. Right. Like, yep. like, can we, can we create a space where people aren't jerks? And that's hard. It's intentional and it is so, so meaningful and important. Mm-hmm. I would also say too, if you do, if someone does come up to you, you know, with, you know, Hey, I'm struggling with this, that, or the other, to, to become more empathetic. You yep. know, a lot of times we do give the, you know, oh, turn this frown upside down or, you know, it'll be better in the morning. And frankly, those are very bad answers. So try to, you know, be more empathetic. See what you can do for that person. You know, maybe they just need a vent for 10 minutes. Maybe they just need a shoulder to cry on. You know, just become human and and just be more empathetic because like the biology that's happening there like if someone's escalated and overwhelmed with emotion they literally cannot think rationally that is not in allowed in their in their chemistry yeah. right at that point right so all we can do is is listen and like one thing that we we do at work is just you know what follow whatever reality they're they're going down right like if they tell you like the the sky is purple you're gonna listen to it and you're gonna be like oh well how did that happen well that's really crazy like can we fly kites in that you know like you 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 know like they just need to talk just like have that like be there with like people want to know that you care they don't want to know like a right answer they don't want to know like logically what what is right they want to know that that you care and can be there with them and walk through that that hard time right there with them one of the things that you hopefully won't learn until later, but I, like when you have a parent die, um, my mother passed away some years ago. In that moment, even the, well, she's in heaven now, you know, well, she's not suffering. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's not as useful as I thought it was when I was telling other people that. Um, a, a very hard lesson um, that we've learned over over this journey of walking to, with people is in the end about all I can say is I'm sorry. I know it hurts, and I can say that because I've been through it at this point. But um, and you want to talk? I don't have an answer. Um, you have to, you have to sit and, and listen. And sometimes an I love you helps there too. Yeah. To just listen and be present. Um, if someone wants you to offer a solution, usually they'll ask. Um, and that's not a gendered thing. That's just a general human thing. If they just need to talk, then you just need to listen, um, and reflect back some of what you're hearing, but let them speak. And if they want a solution, they'll ask for it share stories, hear the reality that they are experiencing, um, and being listened to is amazingly therapeutic. Um, we talked earlier about being able to tell the story 
and not re-experience the emotions and, and draining the story of the emotional content is part of the process for healing from many of these things. And that takes people that are just willing to listen and willing. It's hard to be uncomfortable in that moment and to admit that I don't have an answer. I don't have a solution. And I probably can't do much to make you feel better other than hear you. But it's amazing how being heard is hugely therapeutic in and of itself as well. Well, on that note, uh, we have run out of time. Already? Already. (laughs) So I want to thank you so much for listening as we've talked about mental health. And I want to encourage you that... uh, Help make the world a friendlier place for people with mental health issues or even your own in the world that you live in, wherever that is. And if you need anything, if you need help finding help, give us a call or send us an email. If you um, need help right now, call 1-800-273-8255 and get help. And... Uh, we look forward to hearing the positive stories that coming come out of this as we all work to make mental health and the discussion of it and the treatment of it more normal in our culture. Thank you for joining us at Brew Theology. You can find us at Brew Theology on Facebook, Instagram, Brew underscore Theology on Twitter. And um, next time, you will get to hear Trip Fuller and Pete Rollins talk to us Um, as we get ready for Theology Beer Camp in August 18 and 19 in Denver. And we're looking forward to it. So thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Cheers. Cheers.